Revelation chapter 10. If we remember, we've been going through Revelation, and for those of you who have just joined us, the book is divided into three different main main parts, and we find in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And so John who's in the spirit, brought up to this, into eternity, basically, is told to write these things down. He says, write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. We've already gone through what is seen, which is chapter 1, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you see an amazing revelation of Jesus Christ in these seven attributes. Well, then chapters 2 and 3 is what is now, the church age. And as we read he, uh, the... the uh, the writer, John, is, is penning what the Spirit is saying. Hey, these are my things to the church. Chapters 2 and 3. This is what I want you to understand. Most of it is, I have these, yeah, I know your works, these good things you've done, but I have this against you. So, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of things we need to change. And, and personally, we can look at these things and say, I need to do this in my life. Corporately, we can say, hey, all of us together... We, we have some issues that we need to work on or things that we're doing well and need to encourage each other in. And then we can look at the church in, as a whole, you know, because it doesn't end with these four walls. There's other brothers and sisters in a community that are part of the body of Christ or on the other side of the earth. So when we look at the suffering church or we look at the church that's dead or all these types of things, we can, we can take certain applications and apply it. And so that's chapters 2 and 3. And then it changes to chapters 4 through 19, which is in the things that shall come to pass. And it begins with that word again, metatauta. And after this I looked, and this is chapter 4, verse 1, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard first had speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. And I believe it's at this time the church is brought up into heaven, and now that the... the, the, the uh, uh, the scene is now focused on the nation of Israel and the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. And again, you study the scriptures, you come to your conclusions. This is what I hold to, what we hold to. And so um, just go before the Lord and, and study. We want to focus on Jesus is going to judge sin and he's going to save those who call out on his name. That's the big picture. And he's coming back to square things up, right? And so as we were in last the last chapter actually the last several chapters, you have three sets of judgment that were poured out upon the earth. The first one was seven seals. And this scroll is given to this, this amazing Lamb of God. No one else was worthy to open it, and he had seven seals. And so Jesus Christ alone is able to open this up. And we read that through chapters 5 and 6, and he busts it open. These seven things start to happen that aren't good on the earth. We read about the white horse, you know, the Antichrist coming, and all these other things, war, death, plagues, and these horrible things that are happening on the earth. And then between the seals 6 and 7, there's a pause. And then we are introduced to this group called the 144,000, who are Jews of the tribes, and he names those, those 12 tribes. And he puts a seal upon their head that they can't be touched, basically. They're the Lord's. And it's through them this massive evangelism happens, and people are brought to the Lord, but those people who are brought to the Lord are martyred during that time are subject to the beast, as we'll, we'll, we'll read about here soon. A horrible time. But then we go back to the seventh seal, and when you get to the seventh seal, it opens up what? Seven trumpets. 
So you got seven trumpets, and we're going through the seven trumpets right now. And so what had happened is we got up to trumpet number number six, and just to review, trumpet number five was the first woe. And this is in uh, chapter nine. A star that had fallen from heaven was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And the star, I believe, is Wormwood. Satan, basically the destroyer, Abaddon. And this star is identified as the king of this demonic army that he unleashes from this abyss. And these things that come out look like crazy mosquitoes. No, locusts with a scorpion tails. And they had faces like men and or wait, was it? yeah, men on this one. Faces like men and teeth like lions and, and hair like women's hair. I mean, just like crazy stuff. They're coming out and starting to, to destroy people, but they were not allowed to touch the vegetation and they were also not allowed to touch the 144,000. They were specifically commanded what they could do. And we learn that God often uses horrible things you know, or enemies and other stuff to, to straighten out rebellious man. We see that in the nation of Israel. When they had rebelled against God, what happened? Their enemies started to pursue them and started to attack them and overtook them. It's not good. And so the enemy of our, our souls is being used to pour out God's wrath. And so he's led by Satan here, this abaddon, this... Uh, that word in the Greek for destroyer. And then the sixth trumpet happens, and, and the four angels that were held in the river Euphrates were released. They had been bound for such a time, such a day, such an hour as this, it says, just right on that spot. And they were released. And these four angels, they were given the power to kill a third of mankind, one third. Now, we already know that a quarter is gone and all this type of stuff, so there's just a lot of people dead. They did this through another demon army. This one looked like horses ready for battle. They had heads of lions this time with fire and smoke coming out of their mouths. They had tails like snake heads that could inflict injury. And this is the interesting thing. They had power in their tails to strike people, but the people couldn't die for five months. Could you imagine being in such pain that you want to die, but you can't? Could you imagine people who, are, who commit uh, a bad acts to themselves? I want to keep it, you know, PG-13. And they're in a crippled state, but their soul will not leave their body. Whether you're in 50 million pieces or whatever it is, this is a horrible thing. Somehow, death is not allowed to happen during these five months. And that is a, that's a horrible punishment. You know, it's, in, it's by God's grace that when our, our bodies are an expression of our souls. And somehow, when we get older and, and our bodies are no longer to, able to express our souls, the Lord in His grace for us who are saved releases us from this and gives us new bodies. But imagine being stuck in that state. Horrible. And yet, here it is. And he talks about these woes. Man, that was the first woe. That's just horrible. And so all this stuff is happening, and we, re- we read in verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not, what? Repent of the works of their hands. They didn't change their hearts. They didn't stop worshiping demons. 
and idols of silver or gold and bronze, stone and wood, idols that can't hear or see or walk. Nor did they repent of their numerous murders, you know, their murders, their magic arts. That word magic arts is pharmakeia, which is where we get over pharmacy. They didn't stop going to Walmart pharmacy. I'm just kidding. Their sexual immorality and their thefts. Now, between the fifth and sixth seal, there's a pause, right? Or a little parenthesis. And so in chapter 10, we're going to read of the, and during this pause, it's, it shifts gears again. We've gotten to the sixth and it goes, okay, hold on. The sixth trumpet. Because what happens at the seventh trumpet opens seven bowls of wrath. And then the end comes, right? And so what happens is we're in this pause. And so for the next several chapters, we're going to kind of get an overview of everything that's going on. So in chapter 10, we're going to read about this mighty angel and a little scroll. Take us five minutes, ten minutes, maybe. Chapter 11, we're going to read of the two witnesses. And then the seventh trumpet will, will sound in heaven. When then in chapters 12 and 13, we're introduced to seven performers, as, as they're called. Seven major people or, or identities in in, in, in this whole time of the tribulation, we'll read about the woman, Israel. We'll read about the red dragon, Satan, the children of the woman, the child of the woman, Jesus Christ, Michael the archangel, wars with the dragon. We'll read about the dragon persecutes the woman, the remnant of Israel, the wild beast out of the sea, the wild beast out of the earth. We're going to read about that, and then we're going to go back to the seven bulls. Okay, so we're kind of in this, mean, this, this middle part that's giving us a big picture again. And so, chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Now, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, and he was robed in a cloud with the rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. And he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Now, a lot of people believe that this might be a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it sounds like his reference. I mean, you've got seven attributes that are Christ-like right there. He's a mighty angel. He's clothed in a cloud. has a rainbow above his head. Face like the sun, shining like the sun. Legs like fiery pillars. He's holding an open scroll, which we just probably read about, you know. Is this the same scroll? I don't know, but it identifies it as a little scroll. So there might be a little difference there. So some say it's Christ. He shouts, and it sounds like the roar of a lion. Plants his foot on both sides. So this angel takes his feet and plants it on both sides, the sea and the land, and he gives a loud shout like the roar of a, of a, of a, of a lion. You know, others, and, and I, myself included, I, I probably don't think this is Jesus, and, and this is my thought why, is that I believe it's probably Michael the archangel, and that's just, that's just me. Michael means... He who is like God, or he who looks like God. And this angel is often in the Old Testament and all these types of things, but he is pretty crazy looking. So uh, anyways, uh, I think when people see him, they automatically fall down and worship because of his majesty and, and just how he is. And he says, ah, stop that. Knock it off. I'm a fellow servant. So uh, anyways, either way you look at it, I think everything's okay. The, the point is it's this mighty angel. It says, and another reason why I believe it might not be uh, Jesus is because that word another is, is alos. Remember that? Another of the same kind, not another of a different kind. So it's another of the same kind. 
And so Michael's described, if you want to read more about him in Daniel chapter 12, as being mighty. And he also does what he's doing right here, swearing by the, by the heavens, and says, when he shouted, verse 6, I'm sorry, uh, when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. So he shouts like a lion. He puts his feet on the land and the sea. He just has authority, and he raises one hand, shouts up to the Lord, and starts shouting, sounds like a lion. And it says, the voices, the, then it's the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And there's a reference to well, the voice of God, what it sounds like in Psalm 29, and you can do that for extra credit. It says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over his mighty waters, and it goes on and on. It talks about seven different attributes of the voice of the Lord. In verse 4, chapter 10, And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And so he's told not to write this down. But, Lord, I really want to know what this means. Why in the world did you put it in here if you're not going to tell me? <laughs> I like what some of these uh, commentators said. Dr. John F. Uh, Walvoord. Uh, this illustrates the principle that while God has revealed much, there are secrets which God has not seen fit to reveal to man at this time. He's in control. What he wants. He's in, in the flow of information. He's in control. Uh, Dr. Morris said, let us not proceed as though all has been revealed. <laughs> you know, we walk with humility. There are things we just don't know. And then verse 5, then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, in the sea and all that is in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. There's no turning back now. It's coming. So this overall giant picture of, what, of, of, the, of that time. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. There are so many different mysteries in Scripture. What is this mystery he's talking about? We, we, read in the, we read in all over Scriptures, the ultimate conversion of the Jews is called a mystery in Romans. In Ephesians... God's purpose for the church is called a mystery. There's a lot of things that the Old Testament writers didn't understand about what, was, what God was doing. You look at Hebrews, that is a revelation. That was a mystery that all these things were a shadow of things to come. That the Lamb was a shadow of the Lamb of God. That was a mystery until it was revealed. The living presence of Jesus and believers is called the mystery of God. The gospel itself is called the mystery of Christ. I like what uh, David Guzik said. He said, God freely acknowledges that life today is full of mysteries, but it will not always be so. A day will come when all questions, mysteries, uh, well, all, all questions of this age will be answered. That's going to be cool. All the things you wondered, you know, JFK or whatever it is. You know, I mean, oh, you know. And then, voice, and then verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so, I didn't do it. I disobeyed and did what I want. The end. No. So, I went to the angel, verse 9, and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. 
It will turn your stomach sour, but it will be, uh, but your mouth in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in the mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. On the one hand, it tasted really good, but when it came to digestion, it became sour. It's very interesting. On the one hand, it was sweet to taste. Oh, this passage really spoke to my heart. Wonderful. On the other hand, that digestion is often difficult. Now I have to apply it. Now I have to change. Now I have to do something about it. I don't like that part. You know, in Timothy, I was reading 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, in the end times, there will be people who, you know, they just can't stand doctrine. They can't stand what the Bible has to say. So they're going to get teachers to tell them what they want to hear. They're not going to hear about the blood anymore. They're not going to hear about repentance. They're not going to hear about faith in in Jesus Christ. It's all going to be touchy-feely things. And they gather these people around them and tell them what they want to hear. I just want the honey. I don't want the sour. Don't say the word sin. Okay, fill in the blank then. Don't say the word sin. You can't, that's too sour. You got to keep it sweet. You got to make sure people aren't offended. The cross is offensive. It says to every man, woman, and child, You've fallen short, and you need to be saved. I need to be saved. That strikes at the heart of man. That, that's sour in our hearts sometimes. You know, rebellion, pride. But the sweetest thing ever, Lord, forgive me. And knowing you're forgiven. And John ate the scroll, and it tasted sweet, and it turned sour. Perhaps this is because he realized that he was about to record more of the message that was going to fall on deaf ears. That's a really hard situation. When you have a message that you have to say that you know is true, but you have to tell people anyways, and they don't want to hear it. You know, we have a real danger in our culture. I'm going to end on this. We have a real danger in our culture. We often want God and all the benefits we consider sweet. Don't we? I want God and all your sweet benefits. Give me all the good things, Lord. Being forgiven. Yay! Three cheers to Jesus. Fellowship, hanging out with people. Yeah! Potluck food. Woo! (laughs) Sharing the gospel, not so much. No, that's kind of sour. Don't want to do that. Praying, eh. That's kind of like dying in my flesh, and I don't like that. I like things that really help my flesh out because I'm a carnal Christian. <laughs> you, you think I don't struggle with this? <laughs> Every day, all the time. Do I want to share the gospel when I'm filled with the Spirit? Yeah. But in season and out. Do I want to pray? Oh, when I'm hurting, Lord, help me. 
But when I'm doing fine, I'll see you, Lord. It's sweet right now. Giving. Who wants to give? You know I never talk about I'm not talking about even offering. I'm just talking about giving to others, seeing needs, you know? So many, this is, bus body's amazing at that. But sometimes we just hold on to things that God's given us, you know? And we realize that when we release them, they're used for great blessing, for blessing others. And that's cool. And then God gives you more. Because, well done, good job. Way to invest it. I'm just saying, so in our lives this week, his word is, is bittersweet. Let it be both in your life this week. Let it be sweet and let the bitter come. And let it cause us to change. Amen? Let's pray. I know, weird. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't just be hearers, but doers of the word. That our lives would be conformed to your Son. Father, that we would give you glory. That the things in our lives that are sweet, we thank you and worship you for. Thank you so much for forgiveness. Thank you for our families and this wonderful church and this place to live with beautiful mountains and scenery and wheat fields and and fresh air to breathe when they aren't burning stuff, Lord. Thank you for all of it. Praise you. Thank you for freedom to be able to worship you in this place. Lord, help us to follow and be disciples, to be disciplined in Christ, Lord. When you tell us to go to a place we don't want to go, Lord, help us to receive the sour as well. Lord, when we're suffering in our bodies and we don't know why, help us to trust you, Lord. Father, if there's things that we need to change, that you've called us to change, but we're refusing to do it, give us the strength this morning to do it, that we would have life. Because you said if a man wants to have his life, he has to lay it down. But if you hold on to it, you will lose it. I don't want to lose my life, Lord. I want to have it. So help us collectively to lay our lives down at your feet, Lord Jesus, as your spirit leads us. Amen.